Okay, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Mr. Jones. We're having social hour. One, two. I'm serious now. Sit down. One, two. Anybody need notes this morning? No. I am the resurrection and the life. That's where we are this morning. Profound text. Summary of the Gospels have been telling you, and I think we're gonna we're gonna dive into that this morning and hopefully parse that out um, by God's grace this morning. All right, let's uh, pray <clears throat> once again. Father, we recognize our uh, massive need for you. Um, we we don't we not only need forgiveness of sin, but we also need the righteousness of Christ. Furthermore, as uh, Debbie and I were talking here just before, we need our eyes, our spiritual eyes to be open so that we can see. And uh, the light is not that the light of the world isn't shining, it's that we are born blind like the man in John 9. Um, but uh, by your mercy, you have opened our eyes. And we, we we pray uh, frequently in this church because we, we know that our our source is you. We're uh, kind of almost like Gideon's army in a way, just way smaller than the numbers that oppose us. And, and we're in our own strength, we would fail miserably. But we recognize that yours is the grace and the power and the sufficiency. And uh, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. You win the victory. <coughs> And we get to share in that. And that is an amazing truth. Uh, forgive us for our pride that runs ahead of you sometimes or that doesn't move when we need to move. Uh, help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit as individuals and as a corporate body to your leading in, in all things. And this morning, we humbly ask that you open your word to us again here, both in here and in the back, Larry with the girls. Um, and other churches as well. We're not pretending we're the only game in town. We know that you have your people everywhere. Uh, and and uh, so pray for all the assemblies of believers around the world that are meeting today. Some have met already. Some are meeting now. Others are about to meet. I pray you open your word and open many hearts to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 11. Uh, our outline has us, um, we've been through points one and two. Point one is John explains the scene as Jesus arrives in Bethany, right? Jesus arrived and Martha came to meet him. Uh, we, we learned also in that that Bethany is about two miles off. That's an important fact. John doesn't, um, all of scripture has an amazing economy of words, but, but John, you got to remember that, that, for example, the conversation with Nicodemus and Jesus, you can read that in about 30 seconds, if that, slowly, okay? It wasn't a 30-second conversation. Jesus and, and Nicodemus talked for, for at length, right? So John is condensing a lot of things. But what John is interested in is giving us uh, things like that. And just it's easy to read past that little note that was two miles off, a big deal. Well, it is a big deal, right? There's just no detail in the Word of God that's unimportant. And, and when you're studying, pay attention to those things um, because it tells us that there was a prime opportunity given the four days that he was dead for a large crowd 
of Jewish influential Jewish people to come from Jerusalem to this little suburb of, of Bethany. Okay, so John has set all that up. And in verse 19, in case you didn't get the point, he says, many of the Jews uh, had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So we've looked at that. And then um, point number two is, is Martha confronts Jesus. And that can be, I struggle with how to word that, you know, uh, confront can be, we tend to think of that maybe as a rude kind of thing. And she may have there may have been some sharpness, uh, given her personality and other things, in her, you know, certainly some disappointment in her voice as she, as she met the Lord. But uh, just given what she says to him, there's that sort of blending of disappointment on the one hand, but faith on the other, right? And we looked at that at length last time. Um, that's sanctification in a few verses, right? I mean, that's, uh, if, if, if you haven't been disappointed in your walk with the Lord, stick around, okay? I mean, ooh, am I allowed to say that in church on Sunday? <laughs> um, we're supposed to come and pep you and pump you up, right? Well, let's be realistic. The word of God is realistic about that. And that's what John is, is telling us here in chapter 11. Remember the whole the whole theme of this chapter is what? What's our main word here? This chapter, belief. Belief is not when things are going your way, not when your brother is getting the healing that you think he needs at the time when you want it, right? God is testing their faith, the faith of the disciples, Mary and Martha, as well as setting up for a large crowd of these influential people to be there, plus allowing plenty of time for Lazarus to have been good and dead, right? He's well past that point where you could say, well, maybe he just revived, you know, and he came to after the alcohol wore off or whatever, right? Or the drugs that were in his, or an allergic reaction or anything. Okay. No. The stench gave it away. The stench gave it away. The stench removed any any doubt. Okay. He was good and dead. Um, and it seems like a hopeless thing to Mary, Martha, and everybody else who's there. I don't. I really don't think that they expected. I don't, it certainly is clear that Martha didn't expect the Lord to do what He ended up doing, because she says to, He says to her your brother will live again, right? And uh, um, it says, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And we looked at, we, you, there's a little section in your notes, so I won't belabor that. Um, resurrection in the Old Testament, that's on the first page of your notes, right? To, to bring out when I did a little homework on this, I found a number of scriptures, but those three particularly that are quoted there um, make it clear in the Old Testament that God will raise the dead at some point in the future. And so she, along with many other God-fearing Jews, believed in a resurrection, right? Uh, on, the, on, the, on the flip side, not every Jew believed that, right? We know the Sadducees particularly uh, in fact, it says a surprising number of times in the New Testament, even into Acts, 
uh, just makes a little note that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They also didn't believe in angels. I don't know what they believed in. Power, political power, that, that much no. they didn't believe in for sure. Okay, um, But anyway, not all Jews believe that, but she did, and many of the many others did as well. So they had they had a doctrine of resurrection, but they didn't have as much clarity on exactly how God is going to raise the dead until Jesus comes. And then through him, what he's going to tell her today in the text that we're looking at, 25 and 26, these profound verses, um, disclose a reality of resurrection in, a, in, in crystal clear form that, um, that helps to clarify this doctrine of resurrection, but not in a way that just says, oh, yes, by the way, yeah, you're going to be raised again, but in a way that helps her and us better understand that God is all about resurrection for believers and for unbelievers, okay? And, and Jesus has already said this, but for believers, there are how many resurrections? Two. Two. I get the star Two. problem. Well, actually, Erica beat you with the fingers, but no, she was quiet. I, I didn't see that. She can have a star too. Well, see, but I'm a teacher, so I saw it. So I get to dispense the stars. Can I lose You've got to go home with her. I know. My shoulder's already hurting. I know that. Anticipating. Very important. You know, I, I tell you, when it, when it finally dawned on me that he's talking here about two resurrections, the whole thing clicked. The whole thing clicked. So that's what we want to talk about today. We want to unpack that. We've already looked at it. I don't want to belabor this point too much, but I do want I do want to belabor it today because this is such a profound understanding. If this is all we get through today. Uh, perfect. That's okay because so many believers don't understand this. They don't understand this. So many people don't understand this, and we get the gospel wrong. Not maybe wrong, but maybe truncated. We have a truncated gospel. That's not the full understanding of all that God is doing okay so we'll look at that today that's where we are point number three Jesus summarized why I titled it this way he summarizes the plan of God for giving eternal life to believers his interest here in this statement to her is not so much the resurrection of unbelievers we're going to look at this morning back in chapter five where he does spell that out well you will look at that here this morning okay but his interest here is to her to tell her in the context of raising Lazarus, particularly that that I am the resurrection and the life. Right. I'm the one who's going to bring these two resurrections for believers, which tells us what about Nicodemus? I mean, about Lazarus. What does it tell us about Lazarus? What was the question? What does it tell us about Lazarus? Jesus' statement here. His focus is on the resurrections for believers. What does that tell you? He's a believer. Okay. He didn't come right out and say, well, you know, Lazarus is. But in, you understand what I'm saying? The, the, the topic at hand is why didn't you raise my brother? Right? 
Well, he will rise again. Well, I know he'll be raised again on the last day. I am the resurrection and life. In other words, I am Lazarus's hope for eternal life. Okay? But not just for him, but for all who, like him, have heard the voice of the shepherd, chapter 10, right, are being called by God, chosen by the Father, given as love gifts to the Son, chapter 6. Okay? You see, you see how John is beginning to come, the gospel is beginning to come together. It's all going to be wrapped up when we get to chapters 13 through 17. All of it, it's like, it's like chapters 13 through 17 are the, the chapters 13 through 16 are the ribbons around the package, and the bow is chapter 17. It brings it all together, this whole understanding of everything that Jesus, the main message that the Father gave to Jesus, the heavenly witness, to convey to his apostles and to us. Okay? So here he is summarizing specifically the impact that he has or the implication that he is for believers in terms of eternal life. What does it mean to have eternal life? And how do I get it? It's all right here in these two verses. Okay? So let's take a look at that. We've already read the verses leading up to it. Martha, verse 24, said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ or the Messiah, the son of God who is coming into the world. All right. Um, here's another one of those seminal I am, so one of those seven I am metaphors, right? Remember, we did a study. If you go back, way back in your notes, uh, I, have, I have all of the places where uh, in John listed out there where, where Jesus makes an I am statement, okay? So, or, or ties himself to the phrase I am, okay? These seven are the most famous, Okay, I am the bread of life, I am the true vine, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the resurrection and the life, right? Uh, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. Okay, those are the seven <coughs> famous sayings, metaphors. I struggle for what to call them, you know, statements or metaphors. And metaphors is probably the best way. But there's not the only I am statements. For example, John uh, eight fifty eight, we've looked at, right? Before Abraham was, I am. A very clear statement to divinity, okay? And we looked at, um, and this is all for review, when you see that special statement, I am, uh, it's an unusual Greek construction. Usually, uh, Greek-speaking people use one or the other. Ami ego, ami ego, okay? And what he's doing is, it's a Greek way of tying himself back to the special name, uh, the covenant name, sometimes called, if you're using a Latin version of it, Jehovah, or the Hebrew was Yahweh, right? Uh, and so going back to Exodus 3.14, where God is commissioning Moses at the burning bush, and Moses says, well, who shall I say sent me, right? What is your name? And God gives himself this name. He says, I am that I am. Tell them that I am has sent me to you, right? That's in Exodus 3. 
Well, Jesus in these statements in John is tying himself back to that name. And, and uh, he is saying, I am that covenant God. So we've, we've looked at this at great length, right? It's almost an incomplete thought. I am, I am what? Well, I'm present. I'm always here, right? Um, but I am also your sufficiency, right? Because Jesus completes those thoughts. I am the bread from heaven. I am the, tr the true vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, so so it, it's not only is he tying himself to the covenant-making God that was commissioning Moses there and has been their God all along, but he's also saying, I am the sufficient one. You are complete in me. Okay, very, very important. Okay, so here, uh, I just, I don't, I can't skip past that without saying this, okay? So here he is saying, I am sufficient for something. And what is that? I am sufficient for two things. Resurrection and life. Is he stuttering? Is he... Are they synonyms? I mean, why the repeat? Right? I mean, when I began to really parse this and really think about it, I was like, again, economy of words. Why say the same thing twice? Why not just say it with sufficient say it once, right? Why not just say I am the resurrection? Why does he say I am the resurrection and the life? Okay. Well, he explains it. He explains it. Whoever believes in me, Though he die, yet shall he live. Well, what is that? When you die, but we're talking about Lazarus here, right? Lazarus has died. So Jesus is saying, if somebody believes in me, whoever, notice the whoever there, it didn't say just Lazarus believes in me. So, so it's, 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 it's true of Lazarus, but it's also true of others. So Lazarus is part of a larger group of people who believe in him right and so what's true of lazarus is true of anyone who believes in him though he died like lazarus so he's referring to physical death there you see that clearly referring to physical though he die or she die yet shall he or she live this person anybody in me believes in me Though they die, like Lazarus did, and they're in the grave, and they're rotting. Sorry to be gross, but it's true, right? Uh, 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 we're going we're gonna to smell that here in a few verses, okay? And, uh, and, and though their body perish, like Job says, though, though my, my, my skin decays, yet shall my eyes see him, right? Uh, that's actually one of the verses that we quote in the beginning of our, our notes here for doctrine of resurrection in the Old Testament. So what he's saying here is he's affirming her belief in a bodily resurrection okay he doesn't say well no listen martha you know the sadducees are right you misunderstood the word of god no he doesn't say that right he affirms her belief in a bodily resurrection that god will raise the dead he affirms that but he adds some light to it because now we know the means by which that resurrection is going to happen how is that through him, through him, okay, exactly. But he doesn't stop there because he has to expand the second part of that statement. Remember, it's two things here. I am the what? Resurrection and the life. So that's the resurrection part. What about the life part? Look at verse 26. 
And whoever lives and believes in me, what? Shall never die. Well, wait a minute. And, I, I, and we dealt with this in the notes. So if you want to flip back uh, to the front page there, first page, resolving the quote-unquote contradiction. There seems to be a contradiction here. Um, so that first, that's what I'm trying to get at, this opening paragraph. In these verses, Jesus appear, appears to make a confusing, if not contradictory, statement. He says on one hand that believers in him may die, but shall live again. Then in the same breath, he says that these same people shall never die. Right? He says, someone believes in me. <coughs> you know, if they, if they do die, then they'll be resurrected. <coughs> but if they believe in me, they'll never die. That's why I say it's just so important. Many, many believers, how many, how many times have you heard that verse but never heard anybody really sit down and say, wait a minute, that sounds like a contradiction. It sounds like, which is it, right? You know, if I believe in Jesus, I'll never die. But then you say, oh, by the way, if you do, if you do happen to die, even though I said you never would, then I'll <laughs> raise you again, right? That's why I say it, it doesn't work unless you understand that he's talking about two resurrections. And that's why he says two different things there. I am the resurrection and the life. It's not just enough to have the resurrection. Unbelievers will have that. You need the life too. Both of those are important. And so by linking them together, what he's doing here is, even though it doesn't expressly say a resurrection of the spirit in or of the soul directly here, that's what the truth is behind this. Because it's the same truth that he gave in John 3 to Nicodemus in that famous passage where he says, unless you are what? Born again. Okay. The same phrase, born again, is the same idea communicated here where he says, you could say, unless you're resurrected again, unless you are spiritually resurrected, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Spiritual. Let me just pause at this point to dispel a, 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 a um, teaching that I used to kind of believe, but then I did a, I did a more intensive study on it in the scriptures and, and convinced, I'm convinced that is not true. And it floats around the church and it can add to the confusion maybe that people have surrounding this. And that, that teaching is that we are triune beings. You may have heard this, that we have a, a, a spirit and we have a soul and we have a body and God is, you know, we're like God. That's how we're made the image of God. That's not what the scripture means. Okay. That's when it says we're, we're made in the image of God. It means that we are spiritual beings like he is. There are immutable uh, uh, aspects of God's character, like uh, omniscience and, and all knowing you can't be an uncreated being. You never will be anything but a created being. Right. So God, but there are many aspects of God's, what they call mutable attributes, things that he can impart to us that are like him. And that's what it means. And the image is not the exact clone like Jesus is. Jesus is God. But anyway, so not to get too, too wrapped up in that. But as part of my research, I, I, I uncovered the fact that the Jews understood our total makeup as humans as primarily two parts. 
what they called the inward man and the outer man, the inner person and the outer person, okay? The inner person in Hebrew is called nephesh, okay? It's, it's, it's the term for the soul. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, especially, it's translated as heart, right? I will take out the heart of stone, Ezekiel 36, and what? Give you a heart of flesh. In other words, he's using that metaphor of, of the heart or the guts, the inner parts of the person, and, 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 and he's not saying you literally have a heart of stone, right? And I'll give you a heart. What he's saying is, is spiritually speaking, you are like a stone. You're born in this world impervious to God's light and to his glory and to his, his love and his character. You don't care anything about loving him, about obeying the greatest of all commandments. And, and it, your, your heart is an idol factory. It very easily and quickly replaces the tr one true God with many other things that you worship in his place. And that is our condition. And so... Um, the Hebrews, the Jews understood this um, commonly as two parts. And when death happens in an evolutionary stand, a definition of death, which is what our culture believes, it's another reason why I think Christians are confused about resurrection is they don't understand what death is either. Okay. Biblically speaking, death means what? Separation. 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 The second death. How can you die again? Revelation talks about a second death. Well, if you if you're again if you're thinking evolutionary Darwinism, you know, a death means annihilation, just cease to exist. Well, how can I cease to exist a second time after I've ceased to exist the first time? Right? It doesn't make sense. But if you understand death as a separation, the second death is the second time that we are permanent that the unbelievers are permanently separated from the presence of God. Okay. Um, so physical death is the separation of those two parts of the inner man from the outer man. Okay, so that the so that the body, the Bible says, returns to the ground from which it came, and what? The spirit returns to the Lord who sent it. Okay. Now, having said that, now we understand fully more fully what Jesus is getting at here. What he's saying is this: I am the complete package that you need. For the resurrection of both your inner person and your outer. Think about that next time we have an Easter service. We talk about his bodily resurrection. Bodily resurrection of Jesus uh, doesn't just mean that we'll receive a body like his and we'll be resurrected in a similar manner. It does mean that. But more importantly, it means that God the Father was satisfied with his completed work so that anyone who is in Christ can look forward to not only a bodily resurrection like his, like him, but a spiritual resurrection as well, to ascend with him, to be with him at, in the presence of the Father. That's awesome. And what Jesus is saying here in his very condensed form is exactly that, that I am the way that that happens. Mm. Right? Just like he said, I am the door, right? I'm the door. I'm the only way in. Yeah? You can't, and remember, a door is not only an entrance, but an exit. And you leave the things behind that you used to do, and now you're entering into him, and you have left this as well, right? So I am the resurrection and the life. And then we get that sense of permanence here, too. Um, so the second part there, let's go back to verse 26. 
where he says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Let's look at um, the, the, the sort of literal rendering. If you flip back to page two on your notes, right at the tail end of that section where I'm trying to deal with this apparent contradiction here and parsing it out for us. So we see it's not a contradiction, but in fact, two resurrections. Okay. Um, a literal rendering of, ver of these verses can read, could read this way. Okay. Follow along with me here. I, even I, myself, uh, that's that, me ago, okay, not only is he tying himself to the Old Testament God there, but in the Greek construction, he is, he is confirming and affirming that he and he alone is the source of this, okay? So I, even I myself, am the standing up in bodily resurrection. Uh, that term, uh, resurrection, means to stand up, okay? Uh, in the Greek, means to stand up, okay? So I'm the standing up in bodily resurrection in addition to Okay. The spiritual life is in the heart. Anyone having faith and confidence into me, I know it's, it sounds weird in English. I mean, with some of these prepositions, you wouldn't want to say it exactly that way. But that's really the meaning in the Greek is that, again, the key word in all this chapter is belief, right? And it's not to believe uh, about Jesus or believe in Jesus, it's into him. You believe into him, okay? You're, 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 you're taking advantage of that doorway. You're not just saying, oh, there's the door. Yeah, I see it. I believe it's there. And yep, I believe that's the way. You got to go through the door and into the room, right? Um, into the environment that that door allows you access to. That's the idea. Anyone having faith and confidence in me, even if dead or dying, lives. Um, that, again, is the sense of, of the language there. It could be dead or dying. Uh, we're all dying, right? <laughs> That's true of everyone. From the moment you were conceived, the clock started ticking. It's just a matter of when the alarm goes off. Um, additionally, again, notice that word additionally. I'm trying to show that this isn't just you know, a restatement of the phrase prior to it, but is it, it adds to it. It's a plus sign, okay? It's not an equal sign, it's a plus sign. Additionally, all those alive and also having faith and conviction into me, though dying or dead in this present age, shall not by any means pass over into death. That is what he literally means here. What he is saying is that this is a permanent condition. Anyone who, and every everyone, notice, everyone who lives and believes in me shall what never what part of never didn't we understand right now i want to say that to people who believe you can lose your salvation what part of eternal life didn't you understand this is he's affirming that right here in this text what he's saying is <clears throat> you have once you enter that door that we read about in chapter we talked about this in chapter 10 too where he says i am the door of the sheep right once you enter that door it's a one way. You left behind where you were before and you've now entered a new state. And there's no going back. And that's really what eternal life means. Again, 
We talked about a, a, a biblical understanding of death. Let's talk about a biblical understanding of eternal life. Um, it doesn't mean eternal existence, okay? Um, unbelievers have any spiritual being has that capability, has that as part of their nature. Okay? What he's talking about here is, again, go back to chapter 3 where he's talking to Nicodemus. He says, for God so loved the world, he gave his son, right? And God not sent his son in the world, then the world. But he keeps going and he says, uh, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But those who do not believe, what? Are condemned already. You're born into this world the first time in a state of condemnation. You are already condemned. Okay? That's not the question. What he said, what he's saying here is, one who lives in and believes in me, so, so while you're living, you believe in me, you will pass into this state of permanent life from condemnation where you were before. And it's permanent. There's no going back to where you were before. Isn't that good? Yes. That is really good. He is the complete package. And people who believe that you can lose your you lose your salvation don't understand salvation because it's not about you. It's about who? Him. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are doing this, and it's not about you. He loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. He loves you the way you are, and he loves you too much to leave you that way. And those who, who hear the voice of the shepherd and follow him, out again remember sort of out of that one those flocks where the flocks where they were the folds where they were the world system and into eternal life are in that state forever they are owned by him and never disowned amen. by him amen right if you're in christ he will never disown you he says the same thing in chapter six where he says all the fathers given me will come to me <clears throat> and I will in no wise cast him out. I won't reject any that the Father is giving me. Tell that to the devil and the conscience the next time they tell you you're not worthy to pray because you were too much of a sin. What does that mean to you? Might as well skip church this morning because you don't deserve to be there. You know what? You're right. In myself, Paul says in me there dwells no good thing, right? That is in my flesh. But it's not about me. It's about him. It's about being in him that matters. He is the source of the resurrection and the life, and it's a permanent state of life. That's what he means by shall never die. You shall never go back to that state of death that you were in before in fear of condemnation. There is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ. No, it doesn't say no condemnation unless you sin some really bad thing, right? <laughs> it's good. It's good. He is fully and completely and permanently your solution to your biggest problem. <laughs> All right. Let's, um, if you want to, um, I, I didn't do this because I was kind of in a hurry putting this outline again, and I regret that. Um, but just hold your finger there, and if you want to, in your notes, write in uh, chapter 5. In other words, like CF, you know, or C, the reference. Uh, chapter 5. Where is it? 
in your notes there on point three, okay? Because Jesus more fully explains here in chapter five what he's giving in a condensed form in these two verses in chapter 11. Um, beginning with verse 21, okay? And we're gonna go to uh, we're going to have to go through this really quick because we only have a few minutes. Um, go through verse 29, okay? So, so chapter 5, verse 21 through 29. That text helps us more fully understand the fuller picture of resurrection and life and exactly what Jesus is telling Martha here in a condensed form. Okay? So, so and, I'm, and I'm going here because I don't want you to think this is just Pete's interpretation, okay? I hope it's not, you know, in fact, I know it's not, because he makes it very clear in this text exactly what he's talking about, right? John chapter 5 is the most undersung chapter in the whole gospel, and yet it is so key to understanding so much of the rest of the gospel, all right? So we're going to see that here. So let's read that together, and uh, just bear with me, stay with me, okay? For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Okay, so he's going to talk now about a special kind of life that he's giving only to some, right? It's just to whom he will. And this is, this is up to Jesus to do that. And notice where's the source of this authority and the power to do this. Not just the power, but the authority to do it. Where's the source of that? From the father. He gives credit to the father for this. So Think about that next time we, we talk about Easter, right? We don't talk about the Father a lot, but the Father is the source of the authority to do this, okay? The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So the Son has the right to give life to whom he will, but what else has the Father given him? Judgment. Yes, he's the judge. Okay, that's exactly right. Verse 23, that all, why? What's the purpose of this? He tells us that all may honor the Son. Remember, we, we looked at a word study uh, of that that has to do with worship. That word is cl closely tied to worship. Honor means to, to worship or to give. Uh, worship means worth-ship, okay? It's, a, it's an older, if you go back in the older English, that's what it means, worship. So ascribing worth to something, okay? So that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whatever honor is due to the, to the Father is also due to the Son. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Right? They dishonored. They, they, they wanted to. The Jews there loved to talk about God. He says, you honor God, but you dishonor me. Right? What he's saying is, you actually dis. You're, you're honoring God, all right? But it's not the one that you think. It's not the God of the Scriptures. It's your God looks like you, <laughs> all right? And you love to honor him because it directly honors you. But by dishonoring me, you're really dishonoring the God of your Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? That's what he's really telling them. All right, so whoever does not honor the Son, verse 24 now, watch this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has what? Eternal life, this special kind of life. He, and he does not come into judgment, but has what? Passed from death to life. You, you don't come into judgment once you receive this eternal life. Why? 
because you've passed from that state you were in to this new state now, right? That's why he says in, in our text, in, in chapter 11, verse 26, that he who lives and believes in me will never die. You're never going to go to that judgment where you receive the second death. Okay? Truly, truly, verse 25, I say to you, now watch this, this phrasing, an hour is coming, and what? And it's now here. Oh, I wish I had more time. Back in chapter 4, he uses the same kind of phrasing with the woman at the well. He says, the time is coming and is now here where the, where the true worshipers will worship the Father, the Spirit, and the truth. In other words, it has, it's, it's already started and it's going to continue into the future. Okay, That's what that phrase means. You'll find these two phrases that are here in chapter 5, the same phrases in chapter 4. And the two together help you understand what he's saying. Okay? So, what he's saying is, an hour is coming and is now here. Okay, so it's already started and it's going to continue. What is that, Jesus? Keep reading. What has started and is going to continue? Class, what's the rest of that verse say? Oh, wait, 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 wait. If there's only one resurrection, what does he mean? See, you see the problem? He, he clearly, very clearly, by saying an hour is coming and now is, saying that something has started now and is going to continue. Again, find that same construction back in chapter 4 where he's talking about true worship of the Father. And you'll see that there. Okay, If, if there's only one resurrection, is, is he saying that, well, people are being resurrected all the time? No. Bodily? No. And in case that's not clear, keep reading. <clears throat> For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to also to have life in himself. Notice he's crediting the Father again for this. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. Now watch this. Now he doesn't say an hour is coming and now is now, right? What he's saying is, okay, the first thing I told you about has already started. But then there's this future thing coming later, okay? So an hour is coming in the future when something else is going to happen, something different. What is that? All who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. All who are what? In the tomb. Notice how he describes the difference. Notice the difference in phrasing. The first thing that he says has started already and is now continuing. Okay. He says the dead. He just calls them the dead. But in the second thing that is yet future, he says those who are what? In the tombs. Where do you put, what do you, what do you put in a tomb? A body. A dead body. Hopefully a dead a body. <laughs> right? Where was Lazarus? In a tomb. Or his body was in the tomb anyway, right? So what I'm trying to get you to see is Jesus very clearly here is drawing a distinction between these two types of resurrection. It's very clear in this text. Okay? 
it's something that started now with him and is continuing and and it's in but then there's a future time in which all who are in the tombs all who have died physically will be resurrected that's where we get the idea that even unbelievers will be resurrected as well back to our text quickly and we'll wrap up chapter 11 Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die physically, yet he shall live. At some point in the future, your body will be resurrected. Notice this a comma there, not a period. Thank God. Because there's more, right? For believers like Lazarus, there's more. Verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die now comes the tough question do you believe this martha do you believe this have you faith yourself do you believe this in other words where are you in this because everyone will be resurrected bodily that's not i mean as amazing as that is what's even more amazing is the resurrection of a dead heart, of a soul that was under a state of condemnation because it was sinful and rotten to the core, okay? Uh, the inner man is where the problem is. What we call sins, you know, sin, well, you know, you sinned against me, okay? Well, that's the symptom. That's really the symptom, okay? The root cause of our sin is our heart, right? And also, also our flesh, too. Okay, Paul does make that distinction in Romans 7. Even after you receive a new heart, you still have this old flesh, which still wants to, to, to keep getting back in that habit, the old ways of thinking, and all of that kind of stuff, right? And, and, and looking to please myself and thinking of me first, right, rather than God first and my neighbor second, uh, and loving my neighbor as I already love myself quite thoroughly. Um, and so, so um Thank God that there is that second resurrection that's coming in the future. But for believers, listen, and this was this was when I brought this out in our men's Bible study. I didn't have the time to 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 exegete it like we do here, um, but I brought this out and they were just blown away. They're like, man, we already have resurrection power. We're already raised. I was like, yeah, that's right, that's right. You're already raised from the dead right now. What we shall be has not yet appeared for we will be like him when he comes right our, our salvation isn't finished yet we're in the process of of eventually receiving our new bodies in the second resurrection but the important resurrection has already happened if you are in christ you've already received a new heart resurrected and you will not under any circumstances go back to where you were before isn't that good it's eternal life do you believe this Next time, we will uh, finish this text, and, and uh, Lord willing, I'll have the next set of notes ready. I've already gotten, gotten written down and everything. Next time, we're going to look at, um, um, it's really hard to break up that whole section, so it's a big section, 28 through, through uh, 44, probably, uh, there. And uh, there's a lot of emotion in that, and I'm looking forward to us parsing that out. But this text right here is so, so powerful. So key, understanding what he means when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Thoughts quickly? Comments?
Good questions. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> what an amazing plan. No wonder the scripture talks about the truth contained in these pages as being more valuable than fine, even more valuable than gold, even fine gold, even refined, pure gold. Um, we get enamored easily with things of this world. Um, joking the other day about Rick and the cars that he was drooling over. All these things will perish, but your word lasts forever. Amen. And here is a promise of truth and, and an action, an active work of your Holy Spirit to come into the heart of, of, a, of a believer and regenerate them and to give us new life to help us be born again or even to, to be resurrected spiritually, to have our heart of stone removed and the heart of flesh put in its place so that uh, Paul can, can, can say to Corinthians that we have the mind of Christ, uh, that we understand things that the world can't understand or things that we didn't understand before. I remember reading the Bible many years as a young man, thought I was saved in, in, in church and, and, uh, and the Bible was kind of confusing. I understood parts of it, but, uh, but then when, when, when you did your work in my heart, it began suddenly began to really click, and I got excited about things that are here, and I began to see the value. And as we just read in chapter five, to give you honor, Father, as you are due, and your Son honor, as He is so worthy of. We thank you that you have done this, that it is permanent, and we can rest in your power and your ability to protect us and to keep us here until the day of rest. Pray your blessing on the rest of the service today in Jesus' name.